Good evening. Tonight's Old Testament reading can be found on page two of your bulletin. Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will never forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? This is an ancient word, Lord, and yet it gives new life. We have confidence in you, in your presence here with us, in your power. Uh, so many different stories in this room, so many different experiences, so many different doubts, so many different fears. We pray, O oh God, that you would come amidst us, Holy Spirit, because you know every heart and every mind, and you might apply your gospel to us. Whether we are a non-believer, a new believer, a believer for a long time, in Christ's name, amen. God has made you a desiring being. He has created us to be beings that desire. And those desires are fed by what we think and what we feel and what we do. They're shaped by those things. And so we are focusing our year on spiritual practice. And by doing that, what we're trying to acknowledge is uh, who we are is not just a product of what we think or believe, but it actually is more holistic than that. And that our practices reveal what's in here and what's in here and what we apply ourselves to. The Bible also teaches, because of something called sin, everything that's wrong in the world, this trio of belief and affections and will doesn't perform like it should. One plays out of tune, one plays too loud, one doesn't play at all. And so we find ourselves out of sync. Not being the song. I mean, uh, to get off metaphors for a second and talk about something very concrete, just think about the problem of addiction. The mind actually is at war with the desires and the will. And that's just a small, right, example of what we experience on a daily basis. And yet, the good news of this gospel isn't just that God comes and forgives sin. Amen, that we have somewhere to go with our guilt. But it's more than that. God initiates a renewal project where he looks to actually 
put us back together. And so our mind and our affections and what we do begins to work. It gets renewed in a way that's good and right and pleasing. And we begin to come back together. You know, it's almost like sin. You know, if we imagine ourselves a house and we have these three different rooms, it's like the staircases have been broken down. And so we can kind of exist in just one. And this happens, you know, not just outside the church, it happens within the church. In fact, I would say in this particular tradition, there's an emphasis on the mind and the belief. And so it's possible to believe that when you get up to the gates of heaven, there'll be an oral exam. And I'll be tested on my theology. And that will be the difference between, you know, if I go in or I don't go in. And it's possible to actually have orthodoxy, right belief, but be just a mean old person. Be grumpy, unforgiving. This is what the religious leaders were. So this renewal project is God giving us right belief, orthodoxy, right feelings, orthopathy, right duty, orthopraxy bringing us together. All that is an introduction to say, this is why our series is called Experiencing the Word of God. Because we need more than just knowing the Word of God or hearing the Word of God. We need experience with it. Because we know that words shape us powerfully. If we uh, had time here, and I, or, or maybe you would do this on your own, write down the five things that people have said to you throughout your life that have stuck with you, either negative or positive, and how, you have, how your life has responded to them. It wouldn't be hard, because words are powerful. Maybe there were words of a coach, words of a parent, words of a boss. Who knows? Maybe there were positive words, encouraging words. Maybe there are places you go for deliverance and help. Maybe there are words that left you wounded. And figure this, if the words of finite, flawed, mortal people can exert such power over us, how much more the God who has spoken How much more the God who has created the heavens and the earth by his own word. But why is it that those words often have more impact than his words? Well, because we give those words access to everything we are. And many times, God's word, we just kind of have in one place. Some of us, maybe we just go to God's word for a feeling. Some of us go for a little theology buzz. Some of us just go to what, what I ought to do. I'm going to be about business. But our experience is to, uh, our call is to experience the word of God, whether it be related to your prosperity, your anxiety, or your integrity. And that's where the psalmist is focused. How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, purity is transparency and integrity across every area of your life. It doesn't mean I'm just like transparent and integritable in my business practices or as a spouse or as a parent or as, you know, every area. And not just every area, but every level. 
Not just what I say and what I do, but my motives, what I think. Are you starting to feel the tension of the psalmist? How can anyone keep their way pure? Because all of life is connected, isn't it? I was reading this article on the website Money Crashers. And uh, they had an interesting article, The 15 Characteristics of Wise People. And as you go down the list, there were things like um, they educate themselves, they're steadfast, they're disciplined. And I realized when I got to the end of the list, very little of it had to do with skill with investment. And none of it could be purchased with money. Because we understand that all these areas of our lives are integrated together. How do we seek integrity across the whole? The kind of wealth of integrity you see in Jesus. Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, who most of whom were martyred for him because they believed him, Consider that they lived with him for three years, day in and day out. And they said he was sinless. We never saw him not love God or his neighbor. Now, you got to believe that at some point when someone's getting ready to be crucified or boiled in oil or whatever, if that weren't true, they'd say, I'm not dying for this. But there was something in the whole of his life that drew them together. And that something was forged by the Word of God. It was where Jesus Christ went for not only his fuel, but for his deliverance. So I I want us to focus today on how do we experience the Word of God as a deliverance. Because when you think about the particular areas where you feel tempted to give in on your integrity, or right now where you're compromising your integrity, you're in need of deliverance. Every one of us in this room is. So I want to look at two things. Instruction for deliverance, and how the Word of God is preparation for deliverance. So I have a good friend of mine, and he has had a reoccurring... Uh, lapse of integrity in his life, significant one. And uh, some years ago, he hit a new bottom, and he needed help. And he went to his father, who knew about these lapses, had lived with them long, and he um, began to kind of like, you know, indirectly see if he could get some help. And at one point, his father said to him, are you asking for my help? And he kind of dodged it a bit. And, and his dad looked at him and said, are you asking for my help? He meant to humble him. He meant to sober him, not to shame him. And he said, yeah, I'm asking for your help. Each of us has to have this moment before God. Each of us has to have this moment for God the Father. And praise God if you have them regularly. And this is where the psalmist starts. He says, teach me. 
Over 10 times in this one psalm, Psalm 119 is, an, is a meditation on the word of God using the Hebrew alphabet. It's the longest psalm. And 10 times throughout it, he says, teach me, teach me, teach me. I need instruction. I don't know what I don't know. I need light. I need help. I'm vulnerable. I'm susceptible. I'm confused. I'm weak. Some of you maybe, maybe have played that team game uh, where it's called Minefield. Has anybody ever played Minefield? Okay. Oh, well, we have one person. Daniel. That's good. I'm glad one person did. Uh, but, you know, what it is is um, they put different objects on the ground, and basically uh, the participant is supposed to avoid those objects walking but with their eyes closed. And then the team around them, the only thing they have are the words of people around them going, no, go left, go right, step over. This is where you and I are at, in the minefield. And we're in need of word. We're in need of a word of deliverance. And that means we need all the words. You know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, said, not the least stroke of the Hebrew alphabet, not a jot or a tittle, would be removed from the Law and the Prophets. And Law and the Prophets is just shorthand for the Hebrew Scriptures. And so it means that Jesus didn't get through by selected readings. He didn't get through by um, a life verse. Right? He didn't get through by just kind of going to the parts of the Bible that made him feel the best. And one of the reasons we can see this in this psalm is there are several words that are used. Law, testimony, precepts, statues, and all of them offer different help for us in deliverance. So law delivers us from hypocrisy. Because the term law means it's not enough just to know something, you actually have to do it, right? You have to act on what you know. The word testimony delivers us from apathy. It actually refers to the location in the sanctuary. You had the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, and right next to that were the laws of Moses, and the idea was that the Lord was present, and that scripture was a witness of the covenant relationship between he and his people. It was a way to say there's accountability here. You have the word precepts. That delivers us from inequality. That word was often used of officials or overseers that had policy to act responsibly in every situation. He mentions ordinances. That delivers you and I from being foolhardy. That refers to a wise judge knowing what to do in particular situations. And then lastly, the one the psalmist mentions in our little section, statues. And that delivers us from being trendy. Um, it means word that is engraved and durable. Word that actually lasts from generation to generation. And all of it, he says, guard our way according to the word. They protect us. And those are the words that delivered Jesus. Think about it. One of, the, one of the things, if you look at the life of Jesus, is the way, and, and he learned the Bible just like you and I, just like we're teaching these children. 
This is the remarkable thing about the Christian story. God comes as a baby, and he lives for 30 years, and he grows in wisdom and stature. That he submits himself to learning and growing. There's a self-consciousness. And so the only difference is when Jesus is reading the Bible, he's going, this is about me. This is about me. This fulfills his calling, his consciousness, his destiny. But what you find at points where Jesus need delivered, whether it be conflict to religious leaders, whether it be times when he was lonely, whether he was in the garden right before his death, when he's suffering, or when he's trying to breathe. And what comes out? Psalm 22. It's this reading he had done. You see, when you and I try to deliver ourselves by just, I don't know, what we say to ourselves, you know, maybe we're in suffering and, and, and we're like, this, this won't go in that long. I mean, I, I, it'll probably be over in like six months or a year. Or, you know, I'll work harder next time and, and then that'll do it. That'll deliver me out of this feeling of failure. Or, you know, if I just do enough for God, then that'll erase the bad things I've done. Those words are powerless. They will never deliver you. When Jesus was under the gun in his temptation, where he went was the powerful living word of God. There is something powerful and effectual about the words of God. Why? Because he comes in those clothes. I mean, the word itself is not deliverance. You know, the mistake could be, I'm going to just go to the Bible and jam it into my head. No, that's not it. It's in the word we behold a deliverer. It's in the word you behold the one that came to wipe away your shame and guilt. You behold the one, as we sang, that releases you from sorrow and bondage because he breaks the power of sin. You behold the one who actually crushed and defeated death. So you have hope after death. You're not even that afraid of COVID because, you know, I've got life beyond that. You behold a deliverer. That's what he's saying here. And when you and I go and he opens our eyes and God beholds, we behold a deliverer. That's power. That's power. And here's the thing about it. All of you have children in your life who you love. And so when you have an opportunity, you try to impart good words to them. Wise words to them because you want them to be okay. You, you know, one day you might meet someone who's, who's not friendly to you. And you need to do this. Or, or one day someone might say to you, you know, you're no good at that. But, and you, you're trying to deliver them ahead of time. And how much more so God? L- listen to what God says to you in your moment where you need delivered. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right, when you turn to the left. And then the great promise that Jesus gave us, where he said, 
But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Where do you need deliverance now? Where do you need it now? Because he will give it to you. That's his heart. But that's going to involve preparation. Our second point. Uh, What do you prepare for diligently? Think about that for a second. Maybe maybe it's a, a dinner you're going to put on. Maybe it's an event that you're planning. Maybe it's a presentation you have to do at work. Maybe it's a performance. Maybe it's a date. What do you diligently plan for? And what do you do to plan for it? You know, you, you go get a cup of coffee and thinking you write things down. Maybe you reflect. Maybe you get some counsel from folks. Maybe you say it out loud. You know, it's not that different from what the psalmist is calling us to. It's not like we don't know how to do this stuff. And so he tells us four things that he does. Because, you know... The deliverance isn't the word in and of itself. God is the deliverer, but he chooses how he will deliver. And the way he delivers is through his word. That's how how he has chosen to deliver. And so if you and I aren't immersed in that word, well, to basically say, God, deliver me. He'll be like, what about all the things I've said? that were for your deliverance right now. So this is what the psalmist says. First of all, he says, I store and hide my word in my heart. You know, maybe you've seen that show Storage Wars. Anybody watch Storage Wars before? Don't, don't be ashamed to admit it. I watch worse things than that. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorites was, you know, sometimes every now and then I get hooked on the, big, the Bigfoot thing. Okay. I know, some of you, David Raymer just cringed. I don't even need to see his face, but he was like, Glenn, you went too far, too much information. And I remember, you know, sitting there watching. This was years ago, not now, but years ago. And I remember just, you know, I was kind of flipping around like, huh, hmm. And then Meg just says, don't, don't you think if they found Bigfoot, we would have heard about it in the paper maybe? Like it would be news everywhere else and not just on this obscure thing. And I was like, all right, I'll move on to something else. So storage wars. But if you don't know, right, it's all these people, you know, you buy a storage container and you don't know what's in it. And all of us are storage containers. All of us. And in you are a bunch of words. And maybe you don't even know what's in there when someone opens it up. Right? We store words. We've talked about that. We store them up. Some of them are great words. Some of them are destructive words. Some of them are lies. But there they are stored up. And so, we're called here to actually begin to store the Word of God. So we have something to go to in the place of deliverance. Uh, years and years ago, I saw a movie that I just did not like at all. In fact, this movie, I'll tell you what it was, called Open Water. Anybody see Open Water? 
Okay, one person. Somebody nod their head. Oh, yeah, okay. It's the only movie I went to. I went to it with my brother. The only two, not, it's not the only movie I went to with my brother. It's the only movie that I went to where at the end of it, someone cursed out loud. It ended, and it was just like lights out. You know, it felt like hope went out. Lights were out. Anyway, it's about these, you know, historical uh, thing where these two people get left behind scuba diving. Isn't that like the worst? It's like the thing of like, I hope you don't dream about that tonight. Don't dream about it tonight. But everything else is conjecture. But at one point, you know, they're in the water, and there's a storm, and it's dark, and they're just like, and one, one person starts to fumble through the Lord's Prayer. Just like, is there something I've stored in there that can help me right now for deliverance? God doesn't want that to be you, where you're fumbling and stumbling for words. That you know what he has said, what you believe. But then... That requires the next thing, meditating and fixing, the psalmist says. I meditate and fix it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian pastor and was martyred, he said this, why do I meditate? Because I am a Christian. We could just stop there. But he says, therefore, every day which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's word and Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. I can only move forward with the certainty on firm ground of the Word of God. Meditation means that you turn something over in your mind till your imagination catches fire. We know how to do it. We do it all the time. Think about the latest thing you want to purchase. Right? Looking at lots of websites, looking around. You know, we're looking at it. We're imagining ourselves to have it. We turn it over in our mind until it catches fire. And this is what we're to do with the Word of God. We meditate this way. And, you know, we now know enough about the brain. This ancient practice receives such scientific attention because actually meditation can change your brain. Right? You can't get rid of the old paths. You and I all have paths that we've been thinking through, well-worn roads. You can't, like, get rid of those, but you can create new ones. And meditation is the way that that happens. So I'm meditated, I'm fixed on the Word of God. And you know, sometimes it might be that you read long sections of the Bible, but maybe for some of us, you know, just take an image. You lead me beside quiet waters and just sit there with your coffee and imagine. What is that like to feel that? How, how does that impact my How do I feel it? How do I want to live it today? Or a verse where God says, you know, I am your rock and your refuge. What, what does that mean? Imagine. Let it catch fire in your heart. But this gets to the second one. I, I think there's a reason why it's hard for us to meditate. Because as he says, I delight in your word. Because you only really meditate and fixate on the things that you delight in. I mean, we do meditate and fix on things that are bad and scary, but that's not what we're to do. I mean, on the positive side, right now, what's getting airplay and rerun mind in you right now is something you delight in. Now, it may be it's not a good thing to delight in, but it may be a really good thing. And so he talks about delighting. 
And here's the thing, if we go to the Word of God, and it's like a mirror where we just see ourselves as in rags. If you go to the Word of God, and it's just like a dusty law book. If you go to the Word of God, and it's just sort of like, you know, memories of sword drills you had with the, when you were a kid in Sunday school, or you go to the Word of God, and it's just kind of like morality, you're not going to delight in that. I mean, you can delight in that for a time, but it's not going to last. It's not going to capture your imagination. It's not going to rule your life. It's not going to shape who you are. But what if everywhere you went in the Scriptures, you saw the lover of your soul? You saw this, or you said this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest and with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's how he sees me. Now, if you and I can begin to see that in the Word, well, that's pretty delightful. Even just that phrase, by the way, that's Isaiah 61.10. It may be this week, that's a verse you take and you meditate on it and you see yourself in it. Like you're intentional about it. It's time to go to war, my friends. Do you have any idea what's being poured upon? Yes, you do. We don't, we do. I mean, think about what is poured upon us every moment of every day. Words, 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 thoughts, words, thoughts, words, all the time. We don't have a prayer. Unless. I mean, even the version that we get in the culture, which does kind of pull us in. You, you know, if you, if, you, if you look like this, and you kind of think like this, and you're trying, I mean, all that stuff that you try to do, you know, we, we do, and it exhausts us. Well, that runs out. But what would it be like if this week we just meditated on this, Isaiah 61.10? I think something would happen. But lastly, he doesn't just delight, he declares, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. What we share, we internalize, right? What we declare and what we share. This is why it's good to come here and sing out loud. Maybe it's hard for you to believe this stuff week to week. It is for me. And so when I hear you sing or I hear someone pray, I hear a testimony like that, I'm like, yeah, I know that's true. I live with these people. We do life together. We do community together. We walk through the sorrows together. We walk through the joys together. We're in the city together. We're trying to do our jobs well. We're trying to be good neighbors. We're delighted. You know, we're doing life together. And when I hear you share that, it internalizes. It internalizes in you too. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So, in conclusion, um, I was thinking about a conversation I had with one of our military folks, and they were telling me, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, SEER training. Okay, I'm getting a nod. Survival, evasion, resistance, escape. 
right? It's simulation. It's training because, you know, you're not going to just sort of like read something and hope it works out. Training to get out of your vehicle. Training to deal with the jungle. Training to deal with the desert. Training to deal with your eat. Training to deal with what you got to fight with. Training, all this sort of training and preparation. Why? So you'll know what to do when you need deliverance. So, how are you preparing for spiritual deliverance? This is where we are. This is what we need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way you love us. We thank you for an ancient gospel, a gospel that has traversed every culture, every time, every nation, every people, uh, that has resulted in heroic stories of love for enemies and changed lives. We know you love us. You're for our deliverance. You are our victor as we were singing. Would you hide your word in our hearts? In Christ's name, amen.